Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Almighty, eternal and merciful God, our Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Open and illuminate our minds this morning that we may purely and perfectly understand your word and that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood, that in nothing we may be displeasing unto your majesty. We pray this, Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to let you know that humans are stupid. And the proof of this is everywhere, but especially if you look at the warning labels on some products. Let me give you some examples. On, uh, these are real, by the way. On a Superman costume, you can find the warning, warning, cape does not enable user to fly. Surprise. On a bottle of hair coloring, warning, do not use as an ice cream topping. I don't know. On a cardboard sunshield for a car, you know those things you put on your sunshield? Warning, do not drive with sunshield in place. On a Duraflame fireplace log, Caution, risk of fire. On a portable stroller, which is apropos for this morning, caution, remove infant before folding for storage. (laughs) On a box of sleeping pills, warning, may cause drowsiness. (laughs) This one's one of my favorites. On a chainsaw, warning, do not hold wrong end of chainsaw. You know someone's done it, right? On a hair dry- some of these just don't even make sense. On a hair dryer, do not operate while sleeping. <laughs> on an iron, now some of you may be guilty of this one, so I'll be careful. On an iron, warning, do not iron clothes while on body. Okay, there, there's a temptation there. If you're in a hurry, you know. I don't know who would do something like that. On a razor scooter, warning, product moves when used. This one, this one is just, this is, this is just great. On a carton of eggs, warning, this product may contain eggs. I hope so. Well, the fact is these companies felt the need to put these warnings on these products. And that in and of itself is, is kind of scary and terrifying. Whether they got sued or they're trying to prevent some type of lawsuit, they knew that these warnings had to be placed on these products. Even though to us, maybe, They're apparently unnecessary. To ignore them, though, would not only be stupid and foolish, it would be quite dangerous for some of them. I mean, holding the wrong end of a chainsaw is not going to end well for anybody. But regardless of how ridiculous these warnings may be, they are gracious warnings. You can't say afterwards they didn't warn you. But some warnings we see in life are, are more serious. Sometimes the difference between life and death all depends on whether or not you're willing to heed a warning. You're willing to obey a warning sign. And this is often the case in one of my favorite places 
on Earth, Yosemite National Park. And one of the most popular hikes in Yosemite is the hike to the top of Vernal Falls. I think I have a picture. If you want to go to the first picture, there's Vernal Falls. Uh, and the hike to the top of this is, is one of the most popular in Yosemite, but it's also one of the most dangerous. Uh, and, and the dangerous part is this. Once you get to the top, there's a big, beautiful, kind of peaceful pool under the shade of, shade of some trees. You can see it right near the edge there, where the trees meet the water. Um, and many people have died uh, here because they go wading out into the water right there, trying to get a picture, trying to enjoy some of the cool water. And sure enough, the strong current sweeps them away, and their feet slip, and they can't get a grip, and over the edge they go. 317 feet high. It's about 29 stories down to the rocks below. No one ever survives. Yet every year, every year, without fail, a, a good number of people go over the edge and no one survives. Well, there's an account of one of these happenings that took place in 2011. Listen to this. Uh, Bibi, the name of one of the guys who witnessed it, gave the first graphic description of what happened. He said when he got to the top of the mist trail, so he got to the top of the waterfall, he saw people on the river side of the barricade. In other words, there, there's a barricade. If you could go to the next picture, I think there's, so there's the barricade at the top. He saw people on the river side of that, Bibi said one man was posing near the waterfall with a screaming young girl in his arms while a teenage girl snapped photographs. This is, quote, he says this, people became unglued on this guy. They said, you know what, man, get your blank back over here. So people are yelling at them to get on the other side of the barricade. But he said that as the man came back, so as he complied, another man and woman in the same group crossed the barricade and made their way to a rock in the middle of the river to pose for photographs. So see those rocks right there? They made their way over there to pose for a photograph. Now that is the edge of the waterfall right there. This is him speaking again. He said that's when the woman started to slip. He reached for her and he fell in. Then another one tried to help and he falls in the water too. And then he says this, we literally watched them get swept over the edge of Vernal Falls. One, one person who saw it said, I was shocked to see people fall from that high. And one of the witnesses relayed his side of the story. He said, everyone was screaming. People were praying. But listen to what he says last. What I will take away with me forever is the look on the grown man's face as he was floating down that river knowing he was going to die and nobody could help him. Well, why? Why did this happen? They ignored the warning signs. If you can just go through the next couple slides, there are warning signs, there are barricades all over the trail at the top of the falls saying, do not go in the water, the granite is slippery, if you try to get a picture, if you try to swim, bad things are going to happen. Every year, people walk past the barricade, past the signs, into the pool, and every year, without fail, at least some people go over the edge. Someone goes through the fence, and they end up floating down the river, desperately trying to grab onto something, their feet frantically trying to get traction, but to no avail. See, out of a love for the people and a desire for the best interest, the rangers have posted these signs, but people ignore them. It's a gracious warning ignored to the peril, but they can't say they weren't warned. And this morning, we're going to see a similar circumstance in Solomon's life. We're going to see a time when, when God appeared to Solomon, and out of pure grace, he gives Solomon a very gracious warning. 
And we're going to see a time when, when God gives Solomon a choice between two paths. The path to true worship and the path to false worship. And God tells Solomon where each of those paths will lead. And this morning we'll see that like Solomon, we too have a choice between two, the two same paths. So with that, would you turn with me to 1 Kings 9? 1 Kings 9. Now, last week, we left off at 1 Kings 8. And as we looked into the depth, we looked into depth at Solomon's prayer at the temple dedication, we were left with, with an obvious question. Will God answer Solomon's prayer? Will Solomon's plea for mercy be met with God's blessing? Well, as we look at 1 Kings 9, 1 through, th- 1 through 3, we're going to see that God responds to Solomon's prayer for mercy with a resounding yes. So go ahead and turn 1 Kings 9. We're going to start in verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Now, as soon as you read that the Lord appeared to Solomon, your, your, your biblical, hermeneutical, scriptural alarm bells should go off because this is significant. Anytime God appears to someone and speaks to them directly, it's significant in scripture. And our text notes in verse 2 that this is the second time the Lord appeared to Solomon. The first was in chapter 3. We saw that when God appeared to Solomon and asked him, Solomon, ask for anything. What should I give you? And Solomon, if you remember, had prayed for wisdom and God had answered him by giving him wisdom. This time the Lord answers Solomon. He answers his prayer with assurance that he has consecrated the temple just as Solomon has asked. He has consecrated the temple that Solomon has built for the glory of God. God says, my eyes and my heart will be there forever. This is a huge blessing. In other words, God has said to the people of Israel, I accept this temple and I bless it with my presence. This temple is now mine. God had established Solomon on the throne and now God establishes his temple. And so take heart this morning that as you build your prayers on the promises of God, God hears you and he will answer. But what we get next almost is is sudden and striking We get two statements from God, two if-then statements. God lays out before Solomon two clear paths. Solomon, you now have a choice as you've had up until this day. You can go this way or this way. And here's exactly what's going to happen on both paths. God lays out a path of obedience and a path of disobedience. And God tells Solomon exactly what each will lead to. So path number one is the path of humble obedience. And that's what we're going to look at first. The path of humble obedience. You see, true worshipers walk in this path of humble obedience that leads to blessing. True worshipers walk in humble obedience and that leads to blessing. Those who truly love God, in other words, follow him in obedience because they want to honor him and he blesses that. Those who truly love God choose to stumble forward down the road of humble obedience. Let's see now what God says to Solomon in verse 4. He says this, And as for you, if you will walk before me, as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then 
I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So did you see the if then? If Solomon will walk in humble obedience before God, then God will establish his throne forever. Israel will never lack a Davidic king. Israel will be blessed forever. The the formula is really simple. Solomon, if you walk in obedience like David did, your father, I will bless you. It's pretty black and white. And friends, this is nothing that Solomon doesn't know. God had said the same thing to him after he had answered his prayer in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14, said this. God said this to Solomon, And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So this is not a new idea to Solomon. And, and it's, it's not a new idea in Scripture either. God had said the exact same thing to David and to Joshua before him, and to Moses before him. He had said the same thing to Israel as a people in Deuteronomy 28. And and in Deuteronomy 28, here's the scene. This is right before the people go into the promised land. So they're standing on the edge of the promised land, and God reaffirms his commitment to them. And in Deuteronomy 28, God gives the instructions that half of the people are to go up on one mountain, and half of the people are to go up on another mountain, and there's a valley in between. And God tells this group, you are to shout the covenant blessings. And he tells this group, you are to shout the covenant curses. And the message is really simple. Israel, you have laid before you two paths, a path of obedience and a path of disobedience. And and the text is clear. The path to obedience leads to blessing. Israel, if you will follow my commands, I will bless you. The path to disobedience is also clear. Israel, If you forsake me and go after other gods, I will bring destruction. Two paths laid out clearly. It sounds familiar because this is also the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. How to be a faithful Jew. Step number one. Don't worship any other gods before Yahweh. God had rescued his people and claimed them as his own, and so God set the rules for them for their own good. And so God graciously reminds Solomon here as he reminded the people of Israel, as he reminded Moses, as he reminded Joshua, he must continue to walk with God. Although Solomon has been faithful to God so far, he must continue to choose God. He must continue to walk in faithfulness. He must continually forsake sin, avoid temptation, and continue to lead himself and the people of Israel in obedience to God's laws. If he does this, God says, he will enjoy God's blessing. This is the path of humble obedience. The first of two paths that God has laid out before Solomon. And the first of two paths that God lays out before us as well this morning. And Christian, this is the path that you are to follow. This is the path that Christ has called you to. This is the path that leads to life. It's the path of humble obedience. So what does this look like in our lives? How, how do you know if you're on the path to humble obedience? What are, what are the marks of a Christian on this path? Well, the first one is the Christian on the path of humble obedience realizes that this is more than just religious, outward, ritualistic obedience. Why? Well, because God doesn't just desire outward obedience, ritualistic, religious type of obedience. Now, from this passage, we see and we learn that the type of obedience that God desires is from the heart. Look back at 1 Kings 9.4. This is what he said to Solomon. And as for you, 
if you will walk before me as your David fought, as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you. It's humble obedience from the heart. That is the obedience that God desires. That is the obedience that honors God. If your heart is far from God, your outward obedience means nothing to God. In fact, in Isaiah, he tells the Israelites that he's sick of their worship because their hearts are far from me. He says, I'm sick of your sacrifices and of your ceremonies because your hearts are far from me. See, humble obedience, though, is from the heart. It's not a religious checklist. And the Christian on the path of humble obedience realizes it. They're not looking for a, what is the minimum required obedience that I have to do to get by and still make it to heaven? That is not a God-honoring attitude, and God is not deceived by it. That is the attitude of the Pharisee, of the religious hypocrite. And during Jesus' ministry, he reserved the worst of his condemnations for these type of people. In Matthew 23, 27, he levels this accusation against the Pharisees. Listen to what he says. He says, woe to you. In other words, judgment be upon you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, this is the person who goes to church every Sunday out of obligation, but has no heart for God. Now, I'm not talking about just having a spiritually dry season or having a bad day. I'm talking about the person whose life is characterized by these attitudes. You simply check off the minimum amount of things you might have to do to appear Christian to other people, maybe to get them off your back, maybe to appear religious to your friends and family, but there's no real inner substance to your Christian life. It's, it's all for show. In public, maybe you act and speak like a follower of Christ, but in private, it's just empty. Nothing there. No love for God, no desire for Christ, no desire for true, humble obedience. All of your obedience is just outward. Sin runs unchecked in every area of your life, and frankly, you don't really even care. You make all your life decisions without even a thought to what God's word says. And if this is you this morning, you are not on the path of humble obedience. You are not on the path to life. And you may, you may fool others, but you don't fool God. And so I would just encourage you, give up the act. He's not impressed by false worship, so, so why do it? Because the, the obedience that honors God is a humble obedience from the heart. The obedience that honors God is the obedience that actually desires to please God just for the sake of pleasing him. It's a humble obedience. You see, humble obedience is a form of praise, not an attempted bribe or a public show. The Christian on the path of humble obedience realizes that this is more than religious, ritualistic obedience. The Christian on the path of humble obedience obeys from the heart. Second one is this. The Christian on the path of humble obedience realizes that this is a lifelong process, not a one-time decision. This is simple to see from our text today. Solomon had been reigning and walking with God for about 25 years at this point. And yet God still urged him to continue to walk before him in humble obedience. You see, the verb for walk here in Hebrew in verse 4 is in the imperfect tense, which means it's an ongoing action. It's not, it's not in the past tense. It's an ongoing action. You see, the Christian on the path to humble obedience realizes that this is the path for life. 
This is a lifelong journey. This is a lifelong process. And this doesn't mean that there aren't rough spots or, or tough seasons, but they realize that following Christ is a daily choice, not a one-time decision. It's not about praying a prayer once in your life or, or getting baptized back then. It's not about following Christ back then. It's about following Christ now, today. And humble obedience wakes up each morning, acknowledges its weakness, and chooses afresh to honor God. The Christian on this path wakes up every morning on the good days and the bad days and stumbles down the path of obedience. See, Solomon was not to find his spiritual security in his past, in the decisions he had made before, but rather in his continued walk before God. And in the same way, the evidence of our humble obedience, the evidence in your life will be your continued walk with God. It's not about whether you prayed a prayer or whether your, your parents were Christians or, or whether you were baptized as a baby or, or whatever it might be. The Christian on this path, the path of humble obedience, realizes that this is a lifelong process, not a one-time decision. Number three, the Christian on the path of humble obedience actively pursues obedience. You see, God called Solomon to continually walk before him, to daily walk in obedience. In other words, there's no coasting in the Christian life. There's no drifting. There's no put it on autopilot and just kind of hang out and hope you get there someday. Why? The, the answer is simple. Sin never sleeps. The enemy never gives us a break. And as a Christian, you're either actively pursuing obedience or you're going backward. If you're coasting, if you're drifting, if you're on autopilot, you're going backwards. And, and this shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, think of the metaphors that the Apostle Paul uses of the Christian life. He says it's, it's like a soldier's life. He says the Christian life is, is like running a race. He says the Christian life is like a, it's a fight. There's no coasting in, in a soldier's life. There's no coasting in a race. There's no coasting in a fight. That could be a deadly mistake. And simply put, Nobody coasts towards God. Nobody drifts towards obedience. You must actively pursue it. Theologian D.A. Carson has written about this, and, and he, he, he writes this. Now, now, let this sink in, because I think this is profound. Listen to this. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate Toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. Listen to this. He says, we drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. So I would ask you this morning, are you drifting? Are you coasting? Are you on autopilot this morning? Is your Bible gathering dust on the shelf? Is your prayer life non-existent? Are you compromising with sin daily? Are you just so distracted maybe with everything else that you have no time for the things of God? You're coasting. And if that's you this morning, it's just time to wake up. It's time to wake up, to turn back to the God who loves you and who gave himself for you. It's time to confess to God and glory in his grace this morning. It's time to run back home like the prodigal son and resolve in your heart to no longer coast. 
Grab a friend, grab a mentor, grab a pastor and resolve to actively pursue God together. If you will do this, you will find him faithful. But if you continue to drift, you will only drift further and further from God, not toward him. So the Christian on the path of humble obedience realizes this and continues daily and actively to choose to pursue God, all the while in utter dependence upon him and resting in his grace. And so number four is just that. The Christian on the path of humble obedience is utterly dependent upon the grace of God. The Christian on the path of humble obedience is utterly dependent upon the grace of God. So if you've, if you've listened so far and say, well, I can't do that in my own strength, then you're on the right path. You see, sometimes when we hear the word obedience, we, we tense up, right? It's like, it's like a dirty word. Why? Because we know that we're sinful. We, we all get that. We all acknowledge that just as Pastor Rob prayed this morning. We know that we mess up. But God knows that too. You see, the obedience that pleases God is not a perfect obedience. God knows we are not perfect. God knows that we stumble, and this is why he gave the life of his son for us. The obedience that God desires is a humble obedience. Look at the example he gives to Solomon in verse 4. He says, Solomon, if you will walk as your father David walked. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. (laughs) Walk like David. David had bouts of arrogance that cost 72,000 people their life. So why does God ask Solomon to be like David? Because although David continually sinned and continually messed up and continually fell off the horse of obedience, David continually repented. and David continued to throw himself upon the mercy of God. The overall direction of his life was Godward, although he was a messed up guy. The overriding desire of his heart was to please God, even though he failed time and time again. He sinned greatly, but he always confessed. He always repented and he always turned back to God and he always trusted God through all of it. That is why the obedience we're talking about is humble. It's an obedience that acknowledges its weakness. It's an obedience that that acknowledges its sin. It's an obedience that realizes it can't be perfect. It's an obedience that acknowledges it needs Christ. The direction and desire of David's heart was to honor and please God. And so David stumbled down the path of humble obedience. As I reflected on this, I I realized that I, I think we miss this. I mean, I think we know this intellectually, but we often don't live like it's true. I think we often live as if we need to be perfectly obedient in our own strength, and then if we can do that, God will be pleased with us. And and I think that's why we get so discouraged and so burdened down, because we we think, well, I I don't measure up. We're not good enough. I'm not good enough. I, I can't obey God perfectly. But that's the whole point of the gospel. You can't obey God perfectly. God knows that. God knew that. And so God gave his son to die in your place. Listen to the words of Romans 5, 6 through 8. Consider this. Paul says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the godly people. Jesus said, I came to heal the sick, not the well. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. 
one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the implications of that verse? Christian, God's love for you is not conditioned on your ability to fight sin. His love for you is not conditioned upon how many quiet times you can have. His love for you is not based on how many Bible verses you have memorized. His love for you is not based on how often you attend church. God's love for you is not based on your actions. Christ died for you. Are you still a sinner? You need to get this. He chose you and placed his love on you while you were dead in your sin. He's not surprised by your sin. It's quite the opposite. He knows even more so how sinful you are, how pitiful you are, and yet, in spite of that, out of his great love, he sent his son to die in your place. He sent his son to provide a perfect obedience in your place. God didn't save you for your moral perfection and God will not reject you for your moral imperfection. God's love for you is not based and conditioned upon how good you can be. That is the whole point of the gospel. And the Christian on the path of humble obedience gets this. They are broken by their sin. They are humbled by it. And because of that, because they know how weak they really are, and because, they, because of that, they lean into God's grace. They lean on God and utterly depend on him for their substance and sustenance. And they lean on God. They stumble down the road towards humble obedience, dependent upon his power and dependent upon his grace. God desires us to be broken and weak and utterly dependent on him. So if you're feeling this morning broken and weak in your sin and you're casting yourself upon God's mercy, that is the perfect place to be. Th think about that. I think, I think there are some of you here this morning that need to hear this. I, I think some of you are trying to do the Christian life in your own strength and you're wondering why it's so tiring and you're wondering why it's not working. And if this is you, Christian, run to Christ. Cast yourself upon his grace. Stop trying to do it in your own power. Stop trying to live this life in your own strength. Go to God and live in utter dependence upon his mercy. Christ walked the road of humble obedience first, perfectly, and now gives that to you when you put your faith in him. So let his grace motivate you this morning. Listen, you can't succeed in the Christian life if you're motivated by guilt. Guilt is not a good motivator. It will just get you to go a little bit and you'll give up. You've got to be motivated by the grace and goodness of God. Be utterly dependent upon him and stumble forward. And that, my friends, is the path of humble obedience. And this is the type of obedience that recognizes its own limits, its own faults. The humbly obedient Christian is the one who continually goes to God for strength because they realize they can't do it on their own. The humbly obedient Christian is utterly dependent upon the grace of God. And that's exactly how God designed it. And number five, the Christian on the path of humble obedience receives the blessing of God. God told Solomon in verses four and five, he says, and as for you, again, if you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel as I promised David your father, saying you, sh you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Solomon, if you will walk in humble obedience, I will bless you. Humble obedience leads to blessing. 
And friends, this isn't just an Old Testament concept. The New Testament also teaches this. It's no different as New Covenant Christians today. True followers of Christ walk in humble obedience, and this leads to blessing. Take a look at 1 Peter 3, 9. It's on the screen here. It says this, Peter writes this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter says, you want blessing? Do you want to live the blessed life? Do you want to love life and see good days? Turn away from evil and do good. In other words, obey God. And I mean, this isn't rocket science. God is good. His laws are good. If we obey them, it will go better for us. It's pretty simple logic. So when we humbly obey the words found in Scripture, brings blessing. Now, now don't misunderstand me. When the Bible teaches that obedience leads to blessing, it's not necessarily talking about a material blessing. Uh, Like we talked about this morning in Sunday school, it doesn't mean God's going to give you the American dream or something like that. I mean, remember, Jesus lived a perfectly blessed life, and look how that ended up for him. The Apostle Paul lived a blessed life, and he was shipwrecked three times and beaten continually. So this is not a material blessing per se. I'm not saying that if you humbly obey God, your life is going to be exactly what you want it to be, and it's going to be candy corn and unicorns and all these different things. No, that's not what the Bible's talking about. God may choose to bless us in those ways, materially, and to bless us with success, but these are not guaranteed. The blessing that the Christian receives is the blessing of fellowship with God. It's the secret that made the Apostle Paul infinitely content in any situation. It is the blessing of walking in a way that pleases the king. It is the blessing of receiving what every Christian truly desires, God himself. The Christian on the path of humble obedience walks daily on this path utterly dependent on the grace of God and the power of the indwelling spirit and receives the blessing of God. This is the path of humble obedience. It's the path of the Christian life and it's the path to eternal life, the only path. It's the path that the follower of Christ goes on. The path of humble obedience is the only path to true worship. But there is another path. There's a path path of false worship, of idolatry, This is the path of stubborn sin. It's the path of arrogant disobedience. It's the path of the person who refuses to acknowledge God's authority of their life. It's the path of the person who rejects Christ. It's the path of the person who professes Christ with their mouth but lives like a devil. It is the person who says, God has no right to tell me how to live my life. This is the path of the person who has made themselves God. And friends, this path ends in disaster. Look at what God says to Solomon in 1 Kings 9, verses 6 through 9. Here's our second if-then statement. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but you go and serve other gods and worship them, Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated from my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. 
Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster upon them. Spoiler alert, that's what's going to happen to Israel. Well, friends, don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. See, we've been emphasizing over and over in the series that God keeps his promises, and he does. God promises that the path of stubborn sin, the path of arrogant disobedience, will lead to disaster. It ends in disaster for Israel, and it will end in disaster for you. Do not presume upon the mercy of God. Do not think it will all just work out in the end. Do not be one of those people who says, and we've all met people like this, you know what, I'm just going to work it out with God when I get there. That will not end well. God has given us a gracious warning. Heed that warning. Come to faith in Christ. You cannot live a life of stubborn, arrogant disobedience outside of Christ and expect the mercy of God. No. This, this, is, this principle is illustrated well by a story. On his first day of teaching his class of 250 college, 250 college freshmen, Dr. R.C. Sproul carefully explained the assignment of three term papers. They're due on the last day of September, October, and November. Sproul clearly stated that there would be no extensions, except for medical reasons. But sure enough, and let me tell you, being in grad school, this happens. At the end of September, some 225 students dutifully turned in their papers, while 25 remorseful students quaked in fear. We're so sorry, they said, we didn't make the proper adjustments from high school to college, but we promise to do better next time. He bowed to their pleas for mercy and gave them an extension, but warned them not to be late next month. The end of October rolled around and about 200 students turned in their papers, while 50 students showed up empty-handed. Oh, please, they begged. It was homecoming weekend and we ran out of time. Sproul relented once more but warned them, this is it. No excuses next time. You will get an F. Well, the end of November came and only 100 students turned in their papers. The rest told Sproul, well, we'll get it in soon. Sorry, Sproul replied. It's too late now. You get an F. The students howled in protest. That's not fair. Okay, Sproul replied, you want justice, do you? Here's what's just then. You'll get an F for all three papers. I mean, that was the original rule, right? See, Sproul says, the students had quickly taken my mercy for granted. They assumed it, but when justice suddenly fell, they were unprepared for it. It came as a shock, and they were outraged. Well, it's the same for us this morning. Do not assume God's mercy. Do not presume upon it. Heed God's gracious warning this morning. Don't be like the people at the top of the waterfall who walk right past the warning sides, go through the fence, play in the dangerous waters, and end up going over the edge. Friend, at the end of your life, you will stand before the judgment seat of God. We all will. And you will receive one of two things, justice or mercy, condemnation or salvation, blessing or disaster, eternal destruction, or eternal life. There's only two options, two paths. There's no third option. There's no third path. 
you will either have Jesus Christ as your savior, your Lord and your advocate, or you will have him as your judge. So what will it be? You must decide this morning. You must choose a path. Will you reject Christ? Will you reject his word? Will you try to trick God with your hypocritical, hypocritical religiosity? Will you presume upon his mercy as you revel in your sin and run down the path of disobedience? Will you arrogantly reject his warning? Or will you put your faith in Christ who gave his life? Will you trust him for all your righteousness? Receive his forgiveness and grace. Have all your sin washed away. Receive the gift of eternal life. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And slowly but surely stumble down the path of humble obedience ever imperfectly. God's grace is available to all who would choose Christ, to all who will put their faith in him. So choose him this morning. Choose him tomorrow. Choose him every moment of every day as you rest in his grace, as you stumble down the path of humble obedience, ever confessing, ever repenting. Martin Luther said it best that his, the first of his 95 theses, the Christian life, is a life of repentance. Friend, which path will you choose this morning? Which path will you choose tomorrow? Choose Christ. Let us end this morning with the words of Christ, our Savior. In Matthew 7, 13, he echoes this very same sentiment. He says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the way is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. But friend, if you found Christ this morning, you have found the way of life. Choose him. And as we sing this last song, I Surrender All, let's just sing that with all of our heart, that at the feet of Jesus, we surrender everything that we have and everything that we are. If you need prayer this morning, the elders will be up front to pray with you. Come forward, don't be ashamed. We, I mean, we all need prayer in reality, so don't feel weird or that you're some sort of messed up person if you need prayer. Please come for prayer if you need it. If you're curious about Christ, if you've never accepted him, come this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you this morning. Lord, we are so humbled and awed by your majesty. Lord, that in your holiness, in your splendor, out of your grace and out of your love, Father, you have given us gracious warnings. You have marked clearly the path to destruction and said, don't go down it. Father, you have provided a way out. You have provided the blood of your son for us that we may turn from destruction and come to faith in you. Father, I pray that as Rob prayed earlier this morning, you would increase our faith this morning. Father, lead us down the path of humble obedience. Father, we acknowledge that in our own strength, we cannot do it. So Father, give us your strength. Fill us anew with your Holy Spirit and walk with us every day as we walk with you, Father. Lord, we thank you for your promises. And Father, I pray for anyone here who is on the path of stubbornness, the path of sin. Father, wake them up. Father, bring them to life this morning. Open their eyes, Lord, would the scales of their eyes fall off and would you bring them to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Bring them into the kingdom of light, Father.
And Father, I pray for any who are here this morning who know you, but, but who are struggling, Father, who have been trying to, to do this in their own strength, who have been trying to measure up. They're burdened, they're weak, they're crushed, they're brokenhearted. Father, would you comfort them this morning with your grace? Would you remind them anew of your gospel? Lord, would you be close to them this morning? We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.